Okay. So just to begin with, I have a typo already. Um, uh, Psalm 121 uh, for our opening prayer. Uh, again, this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, um, the idea that I work with when I think of the Psalms of Ascent is that these are people who are heading up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill. You know, so anytime somebody goes to Jerusalem, they go up to it. Um, and uh, um, they're going there to worship. Uh, I've really been thinking about these psalms in terms of being pilgrims here on earth, that we are people who, um, while we live here as aliens and strangers, um, we're, we're heading home and we are on a journey. And, and, and there is, there is a, a good destination at the end, but we ain't there yet. And that brings some angst and some discomfort into our lives sometimes. And I think that that's uh, embedded in these Psalms. And I think that that's something important for us to, to think about and, and to uh, incorporate into our prayers. And so, um, uh, praying from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who made, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. All right. We are going to uh, move into Romans chapter 8, where we left off um, in January. I think it was January or February. Um, and uh, uh, we're going to pick through verses 18 through 25 across the next few weeks. And uh, I hope to make it all the way through verse 18 today. But uh, would anybody be willing to read uh, verses 18 through 25 for us? Thanks. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right. Thank you. So that, that is the, uh, the English Standard Version translation uh, of the, the text that we're going to be chewing on. Um, as you know, the, uh, the New Testament was written uh, in Greek. And uh, um, so I'm going to provide kind of my own translation for parts of these, which isn't really dramatically different from um, 
the uh, the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version is a uh, a lovely translation. Um, every translation has its strengths and its weaknesses, um, and uh, one of the complaints with the English Standard Version is that uh, the word ordering can be a little bit weird. It, it can feel a little bit wooden. Um, my biggest complaint with it tends to be with the Psalms. Um, you know, since you know King James version, uh, I have not seen a, a a more beautiful and you know just really well done. It's just that we don't speak in these and thous anymore. Um, you know, it's poetry. You know, and, and so like I said, every everyone has strengths, weaknesses, um, and uh, and so uh, it, it's worth taking some time to look at what does the original say and uh, just kind of kind of chew on some of that a little bit. So I translated verse 18 this way. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy of comparison with the about to be revealed glory in us. It's a little bit different. Um, the, uh, the English Standard Version says, you know, it talks about the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, I, I tend, when I looked at it, it seemed to me that what it's saying is that there is this about to be revealed glory and it's in us. That actually agrees with the King James Version. You know, so it's not just me making things up as I go along. There are other people who have looked at the same text and come to the same conclusion. Um, but uh, I, I like that because there is a comparison. I think that, well, there is a comparison that's going on here. Um, the comparison is this sufferings of the present time, sufferings of the, the now time, um, with the about to be revealed glory. And those are the things that need to be considered. Now, Paul, the author of the letter, says, I consider. Um, and I think that just those two words give you a lot to chew on because when you say consider, it means it's what I think. That's what I got in my, my brain, in my mind. Um, and I think we need to ask ourselves a question. You know, what is the role of human reason in Christian theology. Any thoughts about that? Why is there music coming from that? I don't know. I was just wondering, like, how do we... It's been doing that. Where is the remote? I know how to... <laughs> um. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So human reason vis-a-vis Christian theology. What do you think? This is the point where if I were teaching teenagers, I'd say, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you do, and it's deep, and you're pulling out from the wells. We have to use the reason to put the whole thing together and not just pick mm. verses. Yeah. For one. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the translating on it. I think if you keep it <clears throat> God-centered and not yourself. Okay. Your reason for saying that. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. Shouldn't your reason be kind of a reflection of the Holy Spirit in us? Yeah. I think it's like a lot of gifts from God, it's a gift that he has given us to use. But if you get excessive, 
you can make reason your God, and well, it doesn't make sense to me, therefore it cannot be. Okay. Um, well, just because it doesn't make sense to me, a whole lot of things don't make sense to me, but still. <laughs> there are computers who do things I don't begin to understand. Right. Reason has risks. It does. We see a lot of people who, myself included, you look at something, you can go down a wrong path and, and have drawn incorrect conclusions. And that's, a, that's what I think, a challenge with reason. I think you have to be prayerful about it. Okay. You can't just look at it and say, okay, I believe this and be done. You have to continue to study and probe and consider and be open, I, I believe. What's coming to my mind is I have to have something on my head in church. When I was sledding, we used to go and look in the Catholic church and we put our snowy mitten on our head. Yeah. Because we knew you'd have to wear something in the church. Yeah. What was the reason? You know, I don't know, but I because one verse says women shall cover their heads in church. Right. And we've looked at that and uh, come to a conclusion that not everybody agrees on that, that says, um, you know, no, that, that was something that was culturally, you know, conditioned in what Paul was writing about. And, you know, looking at the rest of scriptures said, you know, that isn't something that we really need to do. Unless here is your pride. Right. Is in there. Yeah, and uh, and there are people who read that, and uh, I, I know of a y lovely young lady who was very bothered by that passage, and she felt convicted that it meant that she should cover her head when she comes to church, and and she's like, what should I do about it? I'm like, well, can you find a way to do it fashionably? <laughs> and she's like, well, yeah, and so she'll often wear a kerchief or a hat or something when she comes to church because she. She thought about it, and she considered it, and yeah. Can you do theology without reason? Oh yeah, not well. Sure. Not at all, yeah, right? Because you got to, you have to think about these things, and you have to construct a, a framework. Um, how about this? How does God communicate with us? It's word. So there is. A whole process that goes through naming things, defi defining things. This is this is all reason type of work. You know, you, you can't do theology without reason. But as you have have already hit on, you know, reason can be can be problematic mm -hmm. um, because sometimes you you can take it too far, um, and it becomes like an idolatry. I think Bill, you were the one who said that. And uh, um, we sometimes talk about uh, a magisterial use of reason versus a ministerial use of reason. The, the, kind of the, the meanings are in the words there, you know, magisterial majesty. It's the idea that your reason then um, stands over everything. This is, uh, this is very much the, uh, uh, the teachings of the Enlightenment and we are still we are still products of the uh, the enlightenment if you remember that from philosophy class um, and uh, a, a lot of times people we've moved beyond no um, it's just that the fruit is ripening and we're getting to you know the seeds that they they planted um, way back in the 1700s late 1600s even 
Um, and uh, you know, so this idea that um, this idea that my ideas are more important than you know a revelation is is very much a magisterial uh, use of, of reason. You know, and so people come to the Bible with a magisterial use of reason, and they say. Um, I have never heard of a fish that can swallow a person whole and the person live in it for three days and vomited him out on the, the shore. Therefore, that didn't happen. They, they look around and they say, um, the idea that uh, the whole world could be flooded is a, it's a strange idea. Now, a you know, big flood that, you know, regionally that these primitive people would have thought was the whole world, well, I, I can buy that, but I can't buy a worldwide flood because it doesn't make sense to my mind, even though we find fossils on top of mountains, you know, fish on top of mountains. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, they're like, it, it can't be, uh, you know, that, that's a magisterial use. And everything has to make sense to everything me. Everything has to make sense to, to me. me. Yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense to me, it can't possibly be right. Right. And so a magisterial use of reason um, isn't, it, it can be just, you know, like logic and thought it has to be over everything, you know, but a lot of times it's I, you know, because at the heart of, uh, of enlightenment thinking is this guy named Rennie who said, I think, therefore I am, you know, so, you know, it's, it's thought that then proves existence. <laughs> And I know a whole lot of people that are up walking around that aren't really existing. <laughs> the ministerial idea behind reason is what we're striving for. Um, God gave you a brain. He wants you to use your, your gifts and your abilities to, to the best of your ability. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, to get educated, to um, learn how to how to think well, you know, how to read, how, how to process the things that you read. Um, you know, it, it's, it's how, how do you know what God says if, you know, you can't think about these things, if you can't take the words, whether you're reading it with your eyes or you're hearing it with your ears, and then process that and, and apply it. You know, this, this message of, of God's law and gospel you know, this is sin, this is forgiveness. You know, you, you need to use your mind to, to do those, those things. Um, so um, Luther writes about reason in the small catechism. Um, uh, that subpoint uh, I, or Roman numeral one, uh, from the small catechism. Chris, would you read that one for us on the next page? Yeah, it's on the top of the page there. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. Yeah. Where did my reason come from? God. God made it. Yeah. And uh, um, so this is, this is what we call the, uh, the first article of the Apostles' Creed. It's connected to creation. We usually talk about that in terms of God the Father, even though if, if God did it, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did it. It's all connected. Um, you know, one God, three persons. It's not. It's not divided. This. This is one of the reason problems again. That doesn't make sense. You know, 
so we, we make these hard uh, boundaries between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it's it's not. You know, when you have one, you have all three. Um, so um, Luther says in, in the Catechism, this thing that we had to study, that we uh, we confessed, you know, reflects the Bible rightly, that, that God made everything, and that means that even my ability to think is a gift from him that's meant to be used for his glory and for the sake of our neighbors. However, another time, Luther says this, reason is the devil's greatest whore. By nature and manner of being, she is a noxious whore. She is a prostitute. The devil's appointed whore, whore eaten by scabs and leprosy, who ought to be trodden underfoot and destroyed. She and her wisdom throw dung in her face and make her ugly. She is and she ought to be drowned in baptism. She would deserve the wretch to be banished to the filthiest place in the house, to the closets. There's no bombast in Luther at all. <laughs> it's the German. It, it, what, what's going on here? Because on the one hand, he says reason is a gift, and the other, reason is the devil's whore. What's he talking about? Well, it's what we've been saying. That on the one hand, in a ministerial use, it can be a great gift that God gives to us. A gift that, he, that we need, that he blesses us with. But when it becomes an idol, when it takes that top place, is that not an infidelity to God and to his word, to his revelation? You know, and so because then, you know, as Luther's looking at this, he sees that it can take that, that place of an idol. He's like, no, you, you, you got to throw dung in its face. You know, it's just, it's, you know, the 1500s, you know, this is a different time. Dung was much more available then. <laughs> oh, we have plenty of it with babies. That's true, but he could, you know, just walk down the road and there'd be horse yeah. stuff and cow stuff and, yeah. And dog and cat and... Yeah. So, when Paul says consider, consider on the basis of what? What makes sense to me? No. On the basis of what the word says. Now... What, what about when, you know, scientists disagree? They're allowed to be wrong. They are. Now, can a scientist look at the world and come to a different conclusion? Yeah. Yeah. They did for hundreds of years. Because it's based on, because it's based on our observation. And is our observation always right? No. No, it's not. It's like the blind men with the elephant. Yes. Where they have to describe the elephant, and the one touches the leg, and he says, an elephant is like a tree, and the other one gets the, the, the trunk, and, well, an elephant's like a, a snake, and, and the one touches the side, well, an elephant's yeah. like a wall. Yeah. So depending on where they are and what they're touching, as yeah. insofar as they're able to observe, they have conclusions, and none of the conclusions are really wrong. Right. So I sometimes think about this in terms of evolution because in my lifetime, you know, this is something that the church has railed against. 
And uh, more recently, I, I heard a, uh, a professor from Concordia Seward in Nebraska talking about this. How do you deal with this in a faithful manner? And, and, you know, and when I say evolution, I'm not talking about, you know, world changes, things change. We, we, that's, that we can see that. You know, he's talking about speciation and the, the origin of species and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and even going into like the Big Bang Theory and, and things like that. And, and one of the things that he said is that if you limit yourself strictly to observing the material, that is a very reasonable and logical conclusion. But our observations are tainted with sin. And there is more than the material. And so I... I've kind of come to the place where when people get really shook up about a band or about uh, evolution, it's like, calm down. <laughs> Can you see where they're coming from? Yeah. Okay. Does that mean that you have to wholesale buy it? No. This is part of the problem that the church has had with science for a long time. You know, we in the church are often accused of being anti-science and it goes all the way back to Galileo. The church persecuted Galileo. You know that, right? And yes, yes, the church did. Forced him to recant. Yeah. And do you know, do you know why the church took that strong stance against a heliocentric universe, the Copernican universe? Because that's what the best scientists of the day believed had nothing to do with what the scriptures actually teach. And, and I look at that and I'm like, there's an important lesson for us there. We cannot take the doctrines of the world and put them on par or even above the doctrines of scripture. And I think that there's a freedom in that then. When we, when we know what we believe, what God has said to us, I think that we can freely handle these other ideas, sometimes reject them, sometimes pull what's good out of them, because we've come up with a lot of great things and some deep understandings of the world and how things work based on observation, right? But to be able to do that in a sense that, that recognizes you know, God as creator, God as provider, and, and to deal with these things, you know, in a faithful manner. You know, so, you know, I, I think that science does have some authority, you know, in the sense that God has given us our reason. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that everything that comes from it, just, just like every, you know, every thought that comes up in the world is not necessarily good or right. Um, and there are different kinds of evolution. There are yeah. some things that are changing, that have changed. Absolutely. But the changing on this level and the changing on this level are two different things. That's right. Um, and when it comes to, you know, what we consider, sometimes the way we consider things are based on politics, which is basically public opinion. And this is another area that we have to be careful of. You know, that we become so influenced by, you know, the way people think and, you know, that all of a sudden that becomes doctrine, you know, within the church. 
We can't do that. We've got the Word of God. And in another place, Paul talks about, I hold my thoughts captive to the Word of God. That's, that's what we're striving for. You know, that everything comes under Christ. And, you know, and so even the way we consider, the way that we think. So he says, I consider the sufferings of the present time. Um, that word time in the Greek is the word kairos. There are two words in Greek for, for time. There's chronos, which is like, what time is it? You know, just, you know, time keeps on ticking into the future type of thing. Um, and, uh, and then there's kairos, which is an appointed time. Um, now, when he says that, that the present time, because we're talking about an appointed time, you know, the idea is that this is God's timing that we're dealing with. Uh, and when we start talking about God's timing, we're dealing with mystery and faith and trust. Um, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, but considering uh, that day and that hour, that the last day and the last hour, uh, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. There's a sense that we're living in an appointed time that we are, are dwelling in that we we don't know, you know, why were we born in this time instead of, you know, in the uh, 1880s? Why weren't we, you know, I had a friend uh, at the seminary and he loved dressing like in that, kind of that Dick Tracy style, the fedora and the, you know, he, he was sharp, you know, and uh, he, he was like, I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> You know, sometimes people, you know, there, there is a little bit of that, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you, your, your aesthetic might feel that way, but uh, um, I'm pretty sure you were born in the right time because it's God's time for you. In fact, that's what um, uh, Acts 17, uh, point D there talks about, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. So, um, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. There, there is this idea that this is our time. And as Paul's talking about it, there is an appointed time that there's beginning, there's an end, and God has his will being done in that, in that time. Uh, and two other verses, Acts 1, uh, Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends into heaven that they want to know, you know, are you at this time going to re restore the kingdom? And they're thinking of an earthly kingdom. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. In other words, you've been given a life. Live it. You know, and, and live in his grace and in his peace in that time. And the other passage that I always think of when I think of Kairos um, it's from Galatians 4. This is a passage we often use at Christmas. Um, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. So th there is this picture that's being provided that you know God creates all things and there's this fall into sin. And there was a time that God chose in order to send Jesus to send the, the, the Savior, the one who had crushed the serpent's head, uh, going back to that promise in, in Genesis 3, um, and restore God's people to him uh, by faith. 
And I think that as we think about that, we are in our time that is appointed to us. You know, Paul's looking at this in a first century kind of way. We're looking at it in a 21st century, right? 21st? Yeah, 21st um, century kind of way that this is the time that God has placed us in. And um, are there sufferings in the present time? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, there are. Um, when it says the present time, the, the word present literally is the word now. Yeah. So sometimes when I, 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 I say the now time, because I think it sounds funny. Um, but, uh, you know, the present time is a good uh, translation. Uh, so what kinds of things do people, just in general, suffer now? Our sinful nature. Okay, we suffer because of our sin. That's getting into a little bit more of the second point there, that we suffer for Christ's sake. Because there are a lot of sinners out there who really enjoy their sin. I have some I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know it's not like a huge suffering, like, you know, physically suffering, but I think that, you know, like when you're going to um, not go along with public opinion or like what science says, there is sort of a... Um, you know, a looking down on um, Christians in general for being sort of backward or, you know, and that doesn't feel very good. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that we suffer for Christ's sake. But all people suffer, right? Mm -hmm. Think of the prayers of the church. We had two families that lost loved ones. Um, we have... Uh, person who broke an arm. Uh, we have uh, uh, a person who's hospitalized, two people with pneumonia, uh, one with sepsis. But that's suffering, yeah. I don't think we really know what suffering is in this country. By comparison, I think that's fair. But it's not fun, you know, when we're sick, right? Different people have their own suffering. And you suffer sometimes because somebody you love is hurting. And that's a real suffering because you don't want them to hurt, but there really isn't anything you can do about it. That's another kind of suffering that people experience mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think like a lot of mental health is kind of in the news right now, how many people are dealing with anxiety and depression. And that's, you know, like a, that's a mm -hmm. for real suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, Part of that is because we have this idea in this country that we should be able to understand everything and we should be able to do something about it. And if you're sick and you're hurting and I can't do anything about it, then the fault is with me. And we do a lot of that. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. I think that there's also this, uh, I think there's also a sense and a belief that uh, my life should be good and everything should go my way. Mm -hmm. well, of course. I'm not sure about your way, but my way. Right, right. Um, but I think that that is kind of the, the general ethos of, of, of our time. And when people run into reality, that brings a type of suffering. Um, I, I think that, uh, and I could be very wrong about this, but I, I, I think that there's one of the things that we're really suffering in our, our time is a, a hopelessness. And I think that that's part of what's translating into uh, the depression and anxiety. Um, I think it, it works its way into some of the financial things that people are suffering. 
um, because their hopelessness then leads them to not use their money wisely or their materials wisely. Um, you know, it, it can impact just your overall sense of well-being, which then can impact your health. Um, you know, so you know. There's a lot of, of little kid in most adults. Little kids think that mommy can make it better. And if she doesn't make it better, then they get angry with mommy because yeah. she should. And there's adults that feel that way about, you know, doctors and other people and about God. If God is all powerful, why didn't he make it better? Yeah. You know, and uh, um, I got distracted, sorry. Um, it's okay. So, you know, you're, you're going through it and, you know, you're experiencing this questioning, you know, why did God not? Or why did God do this? And isn't that a form of suffering too? Mm -hmm. In our spirits? Mm -hmm. To you a know, certain extent it's self-induced. Almost. <laughs> there, there was a cartoon that my kids really like. I like it too, uh, called Avatar. Are you familiar with this? Okay. Um, so there's a character who who is constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, it's like everything that he does bounces back on him. And uh, uh, he, he, there's an episode where there's a fortune teller and she, you know, everybody's excited, you know, who am I gonna fall in love with and all of this stuff. And, uh, um, and she sees the, 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 the guy that I'm talking about here and she says, your life is going to be full of suffering, mostly self-inflicted. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's true for a, for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. But I also think that this point about talking about um, things that we suffer for Christ's sake uh, is important. Um, here in the United States, the idea of suffering for the sake of Christ um, is something that, I don't know, I've wrestled with this idea because on the one hand, I look at things that take place in the Middle East, in China, in North Korea, and, and the things that, that go on here, I mean, we are free to speak, we are, you know, you know, we don't get jailed because of what we believe. And because of that, some people will say there is no persecution uh, in America. But recently, I, I I've heard some comments from people who came here uh, from the old Soviet bloc countries. And one of the things that they have said is, yeah, it started with making fun. It started with the kind of thing that you were saying earlier that, you know, they would push back against the idea. And then that, that's a discomfort. That, that is, you know, a kind of, of, of suffering. And I, I think that it is okay to embrace that word persecution, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, how the world responds to Christians. Um, I think that we need to kind of keep a good mind, good rationality and reason to recognize, you know, okay, just because somebody persecuted me, you know, doesn't mean that I have to roll up in a ball and start crying, you know. The early church was persecuted much more severely than we are. And you know what they did? They preached the gospel. They loved their neighbors. 
neighbors who were killing them. Um, you know, and so you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity in this that you know, when we experience that, uh, to not just go, oh, it's no big deal, but to say, no, this the devil is at work in this world to push back against the message of Christ crucified, and I get to love my neighbor in the midst of it. I, 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 the idea of suffering for the sake of Christ is important. You know, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, right? A cross is an instrument of death. Embrace the persecution, but then do what the church did with it. You know, use that as motivation to share the good news and the hope that we have in Jesus. Um, and, uh, and Jesus said when we're persecuted for his sake, that we should consider ourselves to be blessed. Rejoice in it. Yeah. Rejoice and be glad because that's how they treated the prophets of old. Right? Matthew 5. There's, there's faith that's involved in this. And, um, and not necessarily something that fits with human reason. You can also be thankful that they recognize it. Yeah. On the other side. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all of the suffering that we've been talking about, Paul writes that these sufferings, plural, are not worthy of comparison with. Now, the word comparison is not actually in the, uh, the original uh, text because of the sentence of the, stru the, the structure of the sentence. We know that there's a, a comparison that's, that's being made here. So what's being compared is the sufferings of the present time with the about to be revealed glory. Um, so the sufferings are not worthy of comparison with. Um, it, it, does that mean that the suffering does not matter? No. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Um, how do we sometimes feel when our sufferings, uh, about our sufferings compared with the sufferings of others? Mine are worse. Yeah. No one suffers like me. You know, I do my, a real good job of it. Yeah, my, my suffering is worse than everybody else's. Put you know. together that. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think that's part of human nature. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a time in human history that's more difficult than the time that we're living in? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you actually, yeah, you know, when you think about some of the aspects of life in the past, mm -hmm. definitely. Middle ages. You know, Remember, Henry VIII, you know, this is kind of a big, impressive king, right? Did not have a flush toilet. I'm just saying. Yeah. Our, our, our lives are, you know, there, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of good in, in what we have. Um, but uh, uh, when we suffer things, you know, we tend to turn in on ourselves. You know, when people talk about their sufferings, they often try to one-up each other. Um, uh, but I think that's, that uh, there's an opportunity when we think about the, the negative things that we experience, when we look at the world, when we look at history, you know, there is an opportunity for gratitude, too. Mm -hmm. Think know. about how badly Jesus' feet must have hurt. Mm -hmm. Walking around in dust and dirt all I, the time. I, 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 you build up pretty good calluses. I was thinking about when the nails went through them. Yeah. So, yeah. so all of the suffering that's that's in the world, it's not worthy of comparison with the about to be revealed glory in us. So what glory is in you?
let's think about when is Jesus glorified? John 13, 31. So think about the layout of the Gospel of John. You've got uh, uh, the, the washing the disciples' feet. I believe that's chapter 12. Chapter 13 then is in the midst of the Last Supper. There's a long discursus on teaching. After the Last Supper, Jesus is betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So biblically speaking, what is glory? It's Christ's salvation. We see God's glory at the cross. You know, we often think about, you know, like Mount Sinai, you know, and, and you know, the earth is shaking and the mountain looks like it's on fire and everything. That is, that is inconsequential compared to the Son of God dying as the worst sinner of all time because he's bearing all of our sins. That's God's glory. God hides his glory in, in the midst of suffering. You know, Isaiah 53, uh, I, you know, this is a prophecy about Jesus. Who has believed what he has heard from us and who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. The glory of God is in the work that God does to redeem sinners. The present sufferings are not worth comparing to the about to be revealed glory, which is your redemption. And that is a redemption that, that begins at the cross and it ends when you're called from the grave into everlasting life and resurrected. So how is that glory revealed? It's revealed at the beginning of every worship service when you confess your sins and the pastor gets to say to you, you are forgiven. That's the glory of God revealed in you. The glory of God is revealed in you in repentance as the gospel works in you to change your heart, to turn you away from sin, and to turn you to God's will. And oh, by the way, when you sin, it comes rushing back in to give you forgiveness and restore you. The, the, the glory of God is revealed in forgiveness. It's revealed in resurrection. That's why, I mean, I, I talk about funerals. I, I'm just thinking back across the class. We've spent a lot of time talking about funerals in, in this overall. You know, and it's because a lot of times people think about you know, just kind of dying and floating away. No, the, the glory of God is he raises the dead. And it starts with raising you from the death of sin, you know, because the wages of sin is death. And that's a spiritual death, but it's also a physical death. In your baptism, you're given a new life, 
you are raised from that spiritual death and on the last day you'll be given a new body and you'll be physically raised to a new life and so the ultimate uh, revelation is of the of God's glory comes to us in the new creation when he gives us new heavens new earth we have new bodies and we're living toward that and so how is that glory in you Is this something that you did to get it in there? Like mm -hmm. taking your vitamins? How did it get in you? Baptism. Baptism. The Lord's Supper. Hearing the Word. Hearing the Word. Notice all three of those come from the outside. So the Word comes from outside. It's God putting his life in you. Baptism is something that is done to you. You know, the water and the word come and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and washes your sins away and puts all of God's promises into you. In the Lord's Supper, we receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. It's placed in you. It's all God's work doing this in you and, and he's saying all the, the, the suffering of this world it's not worth comparing to that there is something incredible that God has done in you that surpasses all of that and and when we look back none of it none of it is going to cause us sorrow or suffering in the end Started so, out in realms with the righteousness of the Spirit. Yeah. Yep. The righteousness that is given to us by faith. It's received by faith. All right. We should wrap it up here. And uh, so, thank you. Made it through a verse. <laughs> Next week, I think I hope to make it through two verses. <laughs> it, 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 well, it, that might be aggressive, actually. So we'll see. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we could be here today. Please bless us as we live in this life that is full of suffering. And as we suffer, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to keep in mind uh, that those sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is being revealed by you in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.